0: Ex-Party Milligan, 1866. These are the facts. In 1866, the Supreme Court stood up to a Republican Congress bent on bludgeoning the defeated South with Reconstruction Acts that defied traditional concepts of constitutional propriety. Shortly before the Civil War ended, a military tribunal in Indiana sentenced Milligan, a pro-Confederate northerner, to be hanged. When Milligan applied for release under a writ of habeas corpus, the court considered the durability of constitutional liberties in time of war. The argument by the attorney for the petitioner.
1: May it please the court. The words of the Constitution are all-embracing, as broad and general as the casing air. The trial of all crimes shall be by jury. All persons shall enjoy that privilege, and no person shall be held to answer in any other way. Bearing in mind the presence and undisputed authority of the civil tribunals in Indiana and the civil condition of the petitioner, we ask by what authority were they withdrawn from their natural judges. That class of jurists and statesmen who hold that the trial by jury is lost to the citizen during the existence of war must carry their doctrine to its ultimate consequences. The right of trial by jury gone, all other rights are gone with it. The consequences are obvious. At the instant when war begins, our whole system of legal government will turn to ruin. And if we are left in the enjoyment of any of our privileges at all, we will owe it not to the Constitution and its laws, but to the mercy of those persons who control the physical forces of the country. The convention which framed the Constitution and the people when they adopted it could have had no thought like that. Nor is state necessity justification for the suspension of our liberties. Nothing that the worst men ever propounded has produced so much oppression, misgovernment and suffering as this pretense of necessity. A great authority calls it a tyrant's plea and the common honesty of all mankind has branded it with infamy. It is a rule of conduct denounced by all law, human and divine, as being pernicious in policy and false in morals. All the ends of true justice are attained by the prompt, speedy, impartial trial which the ordinary courts are bound to give. Is there any danger that crime will be winked on by judges? Does anybody pretend that courts and juries have less ability to decide upon facts and law than the men who sit in military tribunals? What just purpose, then, can they serve? None. But while the military commissioners are powerless to do good, they may become omnipotent to trample upon innocence, to gag truth, to silence patriotism and crush the liberties of the country. They would be organized to convict and conviction would follow the accusation as surely as night follows the day. The willing witness could be found as easily as the superserviceable judge. The treacherous spy and the base informer would stock such a market with abundant perjury For the authorities that employ them will be bound to protect as well as reward them. A corrupt and tyrannical government with such an engine at its command would shock the world with the enormity of its
0: crimes. The argument by the Attorney General of the United States. May it please the court. These crimes of the petitioner were committed within the state of Indiana, where his arrest, trial, and imprisonment took place, within a military district which had been and was then threatened with invasion, having arsenals which the petitioner plotted to seize and prisoners of war whom he plotted to liberate. It is much insisted on that the determining question as to the legitimate exercise of martial law is whether the civil courts are in session. Ordinary courts in Indiana were in session, but it does not follow because the ordinary police machinery is in motion for the repression of ordinary crimes that martial law must have lost its power. The exercise of civil power is wholly permissive and is subordinated to the military power. We submit that all crimes and misdemeanors of however high a character which have occurred during the progress and as part of the war should be tried at the scene of the offense, that justice should be meted out in such cases by military commissions through the strong arm of military law. We do not desire to exalt the marshal above the civil law or to substitute the necessary despotic rule of the one for mild and healthy restraints of the other, far otherwise, we demand only that when the law is silent, when justice is overthrown, when the life of the nation is threatened by foreign foes that league and wait and watch without to unite with domestic foes within who had seized almost half the territory and more than half the resources of the government at the beginning when the capital is imperiled, when the traitor within plots to bring into its peaceful communities the braver rebel without, when the judge is deposed, when the juries are dispersed, when the sheriff, the executive officer of the law, is powerless, when the bayonet is called in as the final arbiter, when on its armed forces the government must rely for all it has of power, authority and dignity, when the citizen has to look to the same source for everything he has of right in the present or hope in the future, then we ask that martial law may prevail so that the civil law may again live to the end that this may be a government of laws
2: and not men. The Opinion of the Court by Mr. Justice Davis The importance of the main question in this case cannot be overstated, for it involves the very framework of the government and the fundamental principles of American liberty. The controlling question is this. Upon the facts stated in Milligan's petition, had the military commission jurisdiction legally to try and sentence him? Milligan was not a resident of one of the rebellious states, nor a prisoner of war. He was a citizen of Indiana, and never in the military or naval service. He was arrested by the military power of the United States, imprisoned, tried, convicted, and sentenced to be hanged by a military commission in Indiana. Had this tribunal the legal power and authority to try and punish this man. It is the birthright of every American citizen, when charged with a crime, to be tried and punished according to law. The power of punishment is alone through the means which the laws have provided for that purpose. And if they are ineffectual, there is immunity from punishment. By the protection of the law, human rights are secured withdraw that protection, and they are at the mercy of wicked rulers or the clamor of an excited people. If there was law to justify this military trial, it is not our province to interfere. If there was not, it is our duty to declare the nullity of the whole proceedings. By the Constitution and the laws authorized by it, this question must be determined. The provisions of that instrument on the administration of criminal justice are too plain and direct to leave room for misconstruction or doubt of their meaning. The ones applicable to this case are found in that clause of the original Constitution which says that the trial of all crimes, except in the case of impeachment, shall be by jury. And in the Fourth, Fifth and Sixth Amendments... Furthermore, the founders foresaw that troublous times would arise when rulers and people would become restive under restraint and seek, by sharp and decisive measures, to accomplish ends deemed just and proper, and that the principles of constitutional liberty would be in peril unless established by irrepealable law. With these considerations in mind, we are told that the Military Commission's jurisdiction is complete under the laws and usages of war. However, it can serve no useful purpose to inquire what those laws and usages are. They can never be applied to citizens in states which have upheld the authority of government, and where courts are open and their processes unobstructed. This court has judicial knowledge that in Indiana, the federal authority was always unopposed, and its courts always open to hear criminal accusations and redress grievances, and no usage of war could sanction a military trial there for any offence whatever of a citizen in civil life in no wise connected with the military service. Another guarantee of freedom was broken when Milligan was denied a trial by jury. The Sixth Amendment affirms that in all criminal prosecutions the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury, language broad enough to embrace all persons and cases. But the fifth, recognizing the necessity of an indictment or presentment before anyone can be held to answer for high crimes, accepts cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger. Everyone connected with these branches of public service is amenable to the jurisdiction which Congress has created for their government and while thus serving, surrenders his right to be tried by the civil courts. All other persons, citizens of states where courts are open, if charged with crime, are guaranteed the inestimable privilege of trial by jury. This privilege is a vital principle underlying the whole administration of criminal justice. It is not held by sufferance and cannot be frittered away on any plea of state or political necessity. It is claimed that martial law covers with its broad mantle the proceedings of this military commission. If this position is sound, then, when war exists and the country is subdivided into military compartments, the commander of one of them can, on the plea of necessity, punish all persons as he thinks just and proper without fixed and certain rules. The statement of this proposition shows its importance. For if true, Republican government is a failure. And there is an end of liberty regulated by law. Civil liberty and this kind of martial law cannot endure together. The antagonism is irreconcilable. And in conflict, one or the other must perish. For martial law, established on such a basis, destroys every guarantee of the Constitution. ...and effectively renders the military independent of and superior to the civil power. This nation cannot always remain at peace... ...and has no right to expect that it will always have wise and humane rulers... ...sincerely attached to the principles of the Constitution. Wicked men, ambitious of power, with hatred of liberty and contempt of law may fill the places once occupied by Washington and Lincoln. And if this right is conceded, and the calamities of war again befall us, the dangers to human liberty are frightful to contemplate. For this and other equally weighty reasons, the founders secured the inheritance they had fought to maintain by incorporating in a written constitution the safeguards which time has proved were essential to its preservation. The Constitution of the United States is a law for rulers and people, equally in war and in peace, and covers with the shield of its protections all classes of men, at all times and under all circumstances. No doctrine involving more pernicious consequences was ever invented by the wit of man than that any of its provisions can be suspended during any of the great exigencies of government. Such a doctrine leads directly to anarchy or despotism. But the theory of necessity on which it is based is false. For the government within the constitution has all the powers granted to it which are necessary to preserve its existence, as has been happily proved by the result of the great effort to throw off its just authority. The writ is upheld and the defendant discharged.